Hey everybody, welcome to Exo Squad Goals, the Exo Squadcast podcast. I'm Chris Mastalone. I'm Ryan Hardy. And I'm Chris Ferentino. And we are talking about Season 2, Episode 11, The First Step. This was written by Mark Edens, Ted Peterson, and Francis Moss, the same team that brought you that number one summer jam, The Pirate's Ransom. Um, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Good episode. Um, so this, just before we get into it, elevator pitch of this guy. There's a Neo-Sapien ace named Thrax. You got Takagi. They're going to throw down at SummerSlam. What do you guys think of this episode? Um, I like the Thrax stuff a lot. I really like the Thrax stuff. Um, the the subplot of like Takagi uh, befriending the like replacement pilot who's like an older like dickhead character uh, is not as good as I remember. Seth Rogen. Yeah, Yuri Seth Rogen. <laughs> Yuri Seth Rogen. <laughs> um, I I wouldn't say this is my favorite episode, but I think it is. I actually think it's a really good episode because I I like that it has, I like that it has, just going for multiple storylines and it has, um, like I think it's cool. It has like this like exterior, this, this big sort of battle going on with a lot of like really interesting tactics and really cool stuff. Like as far as like the fight for Mercury goes, but then I think there's a lot of really cool stuff about. Um, they sort of get into a little bit more philosophical and talk about like the nature of like war and what's going to happen after the war like the end game is planted a little bit um so i think there's sort of this external thing and then there's like a more personal story with takagi which like i don't love it but like i think it's interesting that there's like a big conflict and a small conflict and then there's like this sort of a meta idea of war in it yeah no i think that's like some of the best parts about this episode is that like you said it kind of it does a little bit of everything where you have the like you said that very exterior action of the attack on mercury then you have a very personal story with takagi and his growth but also you have you have history between uh seth rogan and uh and jt marsh and and like the relationships between uh maggie and takagi come back like everything comes comes around um yeah i I really like this episode a lot um and i think some other people might have liked it too because it definitely uh i think people have stolen from it over the years but um, let's get into it, shall we, guys? Yeah. I said, I, I said, let's get into it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm a Neo Mega. What's the noise the guy in the March Death March made when he like falls down? It's just like, Ugh. Uh. but this is where everyone just turned off the podcast. <laughs> They're like, wow, I really like this part so far. And then it's like, nope, nope, just grunting for 30 seconds. But, okay, so we st- we start off kind of mirroring uh, two episodes ago. Cast Takagi and his new best friend, Seth Rogen, are flying around Port Chaos, just like joyriding, having fun. They get back home. JT Marsh is like, Seth Rogen, Takagi, you're late. I just got word a couple of E-frames were joyriding down at Port Chaos. Know anything about it? It's like Admiral Winfield in episode one being like, were you guys joyriding? Yeah, it's very similar to that. Yeah. And while Winfield cuts them slack, JT kind of sees that Kaz needs a little guidance because he knows Seth Rogen. They were apparently in the same squad, except JT got his own squad and Seth Rogen has been floating around the fleet as a replacement. Um, What do you guys think of our first introduction to Seth Rogen? Yuri, Seth Rogen. Um, 
I mean, I hate that guy. <laughs> His frame kind of sucks. Yeah, like I feel like, but I feel like I've known guys like that, and they're I hate them. He's like older. He's like JT Marsh's age, but he's still like a regular. He's like a replacement Exo Trooper, and he's like a dick about it. Like, and, it, and it's implied that he's like always been a dick about it because they uh, he starts telling the story about about Thrax, and then JT Marsh is like. Yeah, you were telling that same story about some like legendary pirate ten years ago. It was like all made up. Yeah, Carpus the pirate. The uh, yeah. yeah, he's he's a dick. Here's the thing: like they say in the episode, he's one of the best pilots in the fleet, but he's a, a replacement because everyone hates him because he doesn't follow orders. He just does his own thing. You know, it's like if Wolf Bronski can find the place a, a home in the fleet on Able Squad, like the Primo Squad. You think this guy could like hang around, but apparently not. They imply he's like a constant. He's like he's like never permanently assigned. He's like a floater. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's like he basically he. The only reason he's here is that this episode's happening at the same time as the Dogs of War, kind of like. And again, Chris, you nailed it with the fact that they're doing this kind of thing where we're getting kind of mirroring of timelines. Um, so there's he, yeah, he's in for uh, Rita, who's on Earth. Yeah, which I think is that they mention it, which is one, this is sort of a meta thing about the show. I've, one thing about Seth Rogen and one thing about the show is that, uh, and it just sort of reminded me of this watching Game of Thrones, was that I really, I wish they would kind of cross-cut between more situations, like planets, like, rather than do 20 minutes in one place, I'd rather do, like, five in, like, four different places. Um because I think you get a bigger scope of the whole thing, and you kind of can see what's happening in what one what time. Yeah. Um, well, but 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 Seth Rogen, like I hate that guy. I hate, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> um, kind of like cocky, confident guys that like get sensitive, affected guys to do things that they don't really want to do or probably shouldn't be doing. But yeah, he's sort of manipulative. Yeah, he's a real mooch. Um, the, <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to put it in just date of the episode. Anyway, so. Because years from now, when they look back at this episode, they'll be like, well, that took place during those four days. Um, <laughs> the, so we basically get a great shot of JT Marsh staring out the window of his you know, quarters, and he just goes, a first step. And it turns out the first step is setting up a uh, forward operating base on Mercury. They're doing it as a combined arms thing, so they're sitting in the jump troops. The, uh, e- you know, the E-frames are going to provide like air support. And it's the first step to being on the offensive instead of, like, holding back, as Winfield says. So, you know, like, they're going to do this attack. They have another mess hall scene. And uh, this is where we get that scene of Seth Rogen telling all the pilots about Thrax. Well, there's a Neo E-frame pilot on Mercury. His name's Thrax. And he's a lot better than any of you. (laughs) You were telling the same story about Carfus the pirate ten years ago. Still trying to scare the rookies? Just wait till we get to Mercury. You'll know Thrax when you see him. He flies a blood-red E-frame. Takagi, being a child, is just like, oh my god, is it true? He's like, yeah, and also, you know, I'm the strongest, most attractive exotrooper in the uh, fleet. <laughs> Takagi is having a little bit of a Hollis here. It's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. He's pretty uh, smooth-brained, just believing everything that's been told to him, you know? Yeah, well, you know... <laughs> Takagi had a rough childhood, apparently. So, can yeah. you blame him? Yeah, right. Well, and that's like another cool thing we get is that 
we learn about uh we actually get a nice character study of takagi through this so basically they attack everything's going really well until thrax shows up and he like immediately smokes like five e-frames which is pretty sick takagi uses his fucking decoy toy thing to and actually works but there's a great moment later when thrax is like a nice trick I do not confuse that easily. I feel like I never got to weigh in on those things. <laughs> and that is like the worst. <laughs> like, can't you just give me the solar flare? Yeah, too? right. Can't can like, they all be give, solar flares? Yeah, exactly. Just give them all the solar flare. <laughs> Invisibility is strictly better than a decoy. Like, it's just all, it's better in every single way. Like, But like, imagine coming up, you're like, you're going to be an invisible. You're going to be invisible. You're going to get this one thing that kills everyone around you. And you're, I'm going to reduce your chance of being shot by 50%. Like, <laughs> we're going to make a decoy. Like, it's the worst. Just give everyone the solar flare or cloaking. Well, my favorite thing I, about the decoy is, assuming they're not using explosives, they'll be okay. But, like, if you just shoot a missile between the two planes that are flying five feet away from each other, it's still going <laughs> to blow up. Sure. Or, like, a battery. <laughs> I, I think I in my head canon like the the exo fighter costs so much more money than the exo frames when they do the new weapons they were like ah eh, fuck the kid like give him the <laughs> give him the doubler like <laughs> well that's the thing too is like it's the least wieldy uh it's the most unwieldy frame out there right it like it can't walk I can't get him oh I'll get this guy yeah exactly I get the guy next to him that looks just like him. And plus, it's like, it's not like they're using just their eyeballs, right? Yeah. They're using computers, and, like, they could easily just be like, oh, man, I have, like, four shots out of this cannon. Well, I'll shoot two at that one plane and two at the plane that's, like, right next to it. I don't know. It just, I'm not usually one to harp on that stuff, but, man, that one sucks. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, there's something, like, I get it. Like, I get the, it's like, but it's like one of those things that's like a, like a, like a trope, right? Like. Everyone gets an upgrade, and you all, they all have to be different. When the easiest thing to do would just be to all give them the same best one. But, but so, like, I do get it, but it's it's just a little silly. But here's the thing, like, you know, even, even okay, the next shittiest one is probably Bronski's, like, cluster bomb. But that totally fits him, right? Like, Yeah, he's the fire support guy. He, like, lays down suppression fire. Yeah, and he uses it on unarmed, like, civilians when they uh, get the Resolute too. But <laughs> one of my killer. favorite moments, yeah, the um, cold blooded killer. Yeah, like as you said, he's getting a little too comfortable with the atrocities. But like fucking Takagi, you'd be like, oh man, you know, give him the Sonic the Hedgehog thing, make him go super fast or something. Um, but it's like, nope, just just two <laughs> two of you, two. It's like really, that's that's it. Like the most offensive, like best pilot, you're gonna give him a dub doubling thing. Okay, but yeah, what would you have given him? Like, like I said, like I would give him like super speed or something. Super speed's a really good one. Yeah, I mean, like, so it's, it's just you're saying it's supposed to fit kind of his personality. Yeah, exactly. Because like, yeah. you know, JT gets the most powerful thing because he's the most powerful. You know, like the the squad commander. Yeah. Um, Maggie gets like chain lightning. Um. Just read it for her chain lightning personality. Yeah, exactly. Well, at least he could be like, oh, she's an engineer, electricity, 
you know, I'll buy it. She's like, yeah. Deleon has an EMP because he's the tech guy. Um, what's I forget what Reed is. is. Taurus has like a fist. Oh, yeah, yeah. The fisting. Yeah. <laughs> I, how could I forget? Uh, I I would do like um, he like it like super rapid fire, but it heats up too fast. So you can't sustain it because he like is like hot headed and like blows the stack. Yeah. Blows his load. Give him like give him like retro <laughs> rocket so he can turn on a dime. That'd be pretty sick. He can just he can just go backwards all of a sudden. He's going backwards. Oh, oh how about this? Okay, you give him like uh, like two laser light lightsaber things that shoot out the side of his plane because it has a wingspan and he can fly between stuff and cut it like like a cruiser or some shit. Liking it, liking it a lot. Nice. Or you give him. I like it. <laughs> I don't know. Or you give him a, a personality. Anyway, so, you know, so Thrax fucks. <laughs> he just gets a mustache. Like, he grows up a little bit. <laughs> when I press his button, I get a mustache. <laughs> and someone's with him, and they're like, get out of here. Punch it, Takagi. He's like, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Mustache. What? Damn, look at that push room. I won't. That's why Thrax eventually lets him live, because he's like, you know, I was going to kill you, kid. But that push broom, man. Oof. <laughs> You got you got a furry caterpillar on your lip. The uh, which is again sounds wrong. Anyway, so uh, Thrax is out there. Seth Rogen gets super high and is like, "Guys, we gotta go kill that guy." So they start chasing him. Like basically leave the squad. JT's like regroup. You know, Seth Rogen is just like, you know, Kaz ignore it. You know, just be like new phone who this, and Kaz plays along. And eventually, JT flies back. Like, you know, they get kind of fucked up by uh, Thrax. JT's like, dude, what the hell? When they get back. And they're like, oh, my uh, my communications array was damaged in the battle. And he's like, uh-huh. Sure. See me in my room. So, basically, JT chews him out being like, look, you can make a choice. You can be a fuck-up like him or you can be a responsible trooper because we're part of a team. And Kaz has to think about it, which says a lot about him. If he had a mustache, no problem. And so eventually he tells Maggie to check out the rig. Maggie covers for him. Uh, what do you guys think about this kind of callback to uh, to their unspoken relationship from season one? It's uh, it's very uh, I it's like stern because she's like, I covered for you. Like, don't don't do it again. Like, she's like. It's kind of she. He's kind of like on his last legs. Like he like blew it. Do you think it was like a very intentional choice to use Maggie for this whole setup because they kind of had that relationship and you know, Cass can open up to her about his childhood, which he does. Like, yeah, yeah. I think it's. I mean, I think it's a. I think it actually works out really well because she would do that. That's her job. Yeah, and they have some sort of a. I don't know, a history of closeness, which is like what I kind of wish there was a little bit more of in the show was that like you actually saw a little bit more of the relationships between the characters, not necessarily love relationships. And if there was going to be one, they just died right there. But uh, yeah, yeah. so I, I think it's I think it's a nice touch and I think it's a nice personal moment, which which I like. Yeah. And so we find out that uh, Kaz's dad was really hard on him and he's always trying to impress older men. So. He uh, <laughs> with mustache. Don't make it sound gross. <laughs> I, you know, 
when I was saying it, I was like, as soon as I said it, I'm like, yeah, it sounds a little sketchy. Lots of vans. Um, so that's why he's like all trying to like impress Seth Rogen. And, you know, he's like, maybe JT's gone soft. And Seth Rogen's all about, you know, he's great. Kind of like why he loved Bronski initially, because he's like, dude's the best dude's like the best pilot and fighter I've ever seen. And then he keeps seeing people that are like more competent than him. And he just leaves Bronski behind, which is kind of sad when you think about it. He's impressionable. I don't know. Like Wolf Bronski would never leave somebody high and dry the way Seth Rogen does, though. Like Bronski is like a good big Bronski and JT are like good big brothers. Seth Rogen is like terrible. Like he like leaves them high and dry a bunch. That's true. Yeah. No, Bronski has got your back. This guy is just. A douche. Yeah. Uh, he will just leave you behind. And, you know, but it's it's this sort of thing, which is, we've sort of talked about it before, is like, how long is this warping going on? Like, I get that Takagi's an impressionable kid who, like, is easily susceptible to this stuff, like Hollis, but, like, all right, you've been in a war for about a year. Like, yeah. grow up. Yeah. yeah. No, he, did, he did do a year in military prison. That's true. Yeah, he did well, not have any emotional growth while well, in military prison. Yeah, he's he's like you know my uh, the real prison's in my heart. <laughs> You're only in prison, but your mind is free. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're back on Mercury. We actually get to meet Thrax because we we get like little one liners like you know your mind human and stuff like that. But Thrax lands with like the remains of the uh, the defensive force. And he talks to his his homie Glycon. Glycon. There we go. <laughs> Glycemia. And, <laughs> you know, this is actually kind of a first for the show because we have like last episode we talked about how like the sort of, uh, I guess, the beta Neo sapiens, like, you know, the soldier kind of just the average dudes should kind of be in charge because they seem very reasonable. And we get a very frank conversation between these two. How soon will reinforcements arrive? Phaeton can spare no reinforcements. We've been ordered to hold Mercury with the troops we have. We succeed or fail for the glory of Phaeton. Phaeton is our leader, unfortunately. But that's not our concern. We're soldiers. In like the World War II analogy, they're like the Rommel figures, right? Yeah. They're like... They're like the noble warriors who are who have called or have been called on to like serve like the Nazis, like like the Rommels. Yeah, it, well, it's it's, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, like the old uh, like yeah, you know, like the German army kind of guys, like who were the professional soldiers who were like, whoa, shit's crazy. Um, yeah, you know. So we actually get some really because we find out basically a even like these, you know. He, and he does the thing where he's like, I've ordered a counterattack with all remaining forces to retake the main base. Yes, sir. Thrax, we have one scout ship left. If the attack fails, you must take as many of our people as you can and escape to Venus. What about you? I will lead the counterattack. You are sacrificing yourself for nothing. Has it not occurred to you that we are all sacrificing ourselves for nothing? It has become Phaeton's war not ours. We find out that basically he's going to die in this attack. It's a suicide mission. And Thrax basically says, why are you going to sacrifice yourself? And he's like, look, you know, we're all going to sacrifice. We're all going to do it. It's a very like human conversation, which is kind of interesting, you know, like again, that theme of humanity and what makes someone human. And these guys are like the most human neo sapiens we've met. 
They're they're more human than Seth Rogen is. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, one of like the interesting things when you, about the show when we were excited to see was, to me, it was one of like the Neo Sapiens starting to question the war and calling it Phaeton's War. I think is really indicative of that. That, and it's and, and it brings up sort of an interesting question about soldiery, which is, you know, is yours just to do and die and not question what you're doing and follow orders, or is there more to it than that? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because like. In, gly- in glycoma, we get like uh, <laughs> I, he will so- die and come back as hypoglycemia. Yeah, the uh, exactly stronger and faster than before. Um, <laughs> we get a really human moment where he's like, "Look, if everything goes to shit," he tells Thrax, his best pilot, his most valuable resource in this battle. He's like, "If everything's going to shit, I want you to come back, take the last scout ship, and rescue as many of the people on this base as you can, and get them to Venus." Which is like a really interesting like moment because these are the bad guys, right? Like right. we're not supposed to be like, you know, seeing them it's do something really compassionate. It's like the Das Boat kind of thing. Yeah. You know, where you're like, oh, wait a second. These are Nazis. Yeah. But they're people too. You know, I mean, they're like certainly, I mean, I don't want to get into it that deeply but you can imagine that there were people who were just soldiers and didn't kind of have a full understanding of or even agree necessarily with the po- politics of it but they were soldiers well, yeah. they, 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 they fight the old way too right like they respect the rules of warfare and they're like compa- yeah they're like they're like men of honor like yeah yeah it's like and you know it's like even if it's you know whether it's how tr- you know how true in life it is because I mean war is war and it's awful but, you know, it's like that I, that the warrior code thing where it's like, you know, the opponents defeated, let them retreat, you know. Um, and so basically they're they're sort of on this path and Glycoma walks away and he's like and his buddy um, Charos, I believe his name is. Sure. Yeah, he comes up and he's like, and Thrax is like, what the hell are we fighting for? And he says this really interesting thing where it's uh, it's akin to, and of course the real quote is going to go in here through the magic of post-production. Do you never grow tired of it, Sharos? The fighting? It is what we were bred for. And when the war is over, what will we do then? For us, the war will never be over. And that's a really fucking crazy thing to say. I thought that was really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Like, what do you think he means by that? Uh, you know, I think part of it is you can take it a lot of ways. Like one, Phaeton's crazy and there'll always be an enemy to him. You know, so as long as he's in charge, there'll always be something. They'll be fighting something. Yeah. You know, and whether it's for their own freedom against Phaeton or whether it's just following his orders more, it's like basically, you know, it's that kind of World War One thing where it's like, well, we're going to die anyway, so might as well just go with it. You know, but it's it's kind of crazy because in a way you get this this glimpse into the psyche of like the Neo Sapien mind and because they literally say we were bred for this, you know, and sort of embracing that purpose as the only thing. But it's like guys like Thrax are seeing beyond it, you know, and seeing to, to, to tomorrow. So 
Yeah, I mean, I think the big the big sort of why I like this episode and and the the meta part of it and the end game part of it is like how do you deal with war when war is over? I I almost took that line to be like almost something by like people who um by written by writers who like had had known the post World War II generation and like you know that like even even when the war is over you're still reliving it you're still going you know going through it in your mind um and because neo sapiens never forget anything or sleep that they'll always be playing it back um yeah i mean and- but I, don't, I think there's some aspect of being a soldier that like you never leaves you and you're always fighting a war in some way well so we actually then we you know i was just thinking about this because i'll just i just want to get i'll get through the little the end of this real quick because it kind of ties into what i was going to say um they do the counterattack and what happens uh glycon gets killed and his last word he tells thrax to launch his attack in thrax's attack his buddy chara zidiano chara charos gets <laughs> killed by kaz who was grounded for like basically fibbing about his uh communications gear and in the end you know thrax takes down kaz kaz crashes in a valley he goes Thrax goes to finish the job and he kind of has this at least this is how I read it. I kind of read it like his best friend got killed. A commander he admired got killed and he saw this like vulnerable soldier that he could just he could kill and get his revenge and they do a thing where they kind of talk to each other but they're they're not on the radio you know they don't know what each other mm-hmm. they're saying and he says something to the effect of like you beat me Neo you're the best. Now take your shot and get it over with. No, this battle is over. There has been too much destruction already today. Why? Why didn't he fire? And basically leaves and goes, you assume he gets the scout ship and saves everyone. Um, and then Kaz is like, why would he do that? Why would he let me, uh, why would he let me go? And I don't know. It's just like, it's but, a really, but Marsh, Marsh says something after that though, too. I keep wondering why didn't Thrax finish me off? Now taking Mercury is the first step to ending this war. When it's over, the Neos and the Terrans are going to have to learn to get along. Maybe Thrax knows that too. And letting you live was his first step or, <laughs> Maybe he's just getting soft. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a really powerful moment because it's suddenly this kid, you know, he he sprouts that mustache. He sees, like, it's not just about blowing up the most bad guys and, uh, you know, going fast, eating chili dogs. There's Things are more complex, and uh, people need to realize we're all going to have to live together after this. And there are a lot of first steps, and, you know, that was his by letting you live. So, but, yeah, I mean, that moment is, like, fucking... And of course, they should can Yuri. He goes to like some, you know, E team, and that guy can get fucked. There's a really interesting study of masculinity in this episode between like Yuri's, like between like Seth Rogen and like JT Marsh and like Thrax. Like they all present different kinds of strength. Like, and like Yuri's is like by like Yuri's like obsession with like hyper masculinity is like by far the lamest one. Yeah. No, definitely. Thrax in a way does like the most human thing. 
does the most compassionate thing. Yeah. Which is to, to not to not kill. Yeah. It's like Takagi's Takagi's learned now lessons when not to fight in two episodes. Yeah, stay frosty, kid. Like stay frosty. You know, it's like you said, it's Yuri is that Yuri's like pure id, like the dog chasing the car. Um you know, I guess JT would be what, the super ego? That's been a long time yeah. since we've done any Freudian stuff. No, I buy it. Um <clears throat> I guess I guess Kaz would just be the ego, but like, but yeah, Thrax is sort of like outside the system. Like you said, he kind of, he breaks the chain. Yeah. He he refuses to, he refuses to like perpetuate the cycle of violence. Like he lets like, cause it's only a matter of time after he kills Takagi that, that Takagi's wingman comes after him and then Thrax's wingman comes after him. And like, where does it end? Right? Like, yeah. And then they uh, capture all the people at the base and who knows what happens to them in this war you know so he does the humane thing and goes and saves his people so they can live and fight another day and hopefully survive the war but also you know he's he spared he spared a you know a fallen enemy like there was no need to kill him like he you know even if the battle kept going and thrax was going to fight for you know the whole duration kaz couldn't help he was out of the fight so why needlessly waste a life so yeah. there's 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 totally something to be said for like um like someone who abides by like the the rules of warfare right like kaz couldn't defend himself so it was wrong to kill him like yeah i don't know it's like i like the i, I like that i mean there's a lot you could write about this episode you know yeah that's i mean that's why i think it's so good it, like on a on a dramatic level i think this is again i said it's not my favorite episode but i think it's a really good emblem of what the show can be at its best in a way like i think there are great episodes that are like the batan death march episode was really great for how like physical and visceral it was and you got the heat and you got like the (laughs) bronski being in a death march for two minutes and collapsing (laughs) or or narrow collapsing um and i think what what i really like about this show is that i think that there's sort of multiple things going on narratively and dramatically and thematically that all kind of tie in together about how we it's sort of about how you how you live and like how to you know again this big big story this personal story and and then a more kind of overarching thing yeah and you know like so one of the things that always gets brought up with this episode is the Battlestar Galactica scar episode do you guys remember that one um, is that there's like a hotshot pilot? Yeah, the, basically, no. basically there's a Cylon uh, raider. Oh yes, yes. That I, I think is painted red or something like that, and red, uh, it's got like a red red like mark on it. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's killing all the rookies, and they have to go basically fight it and kill it. And while I've always found this like I've always liked this episode a lot more than that one. Um, First, it's it's a half hour shorter, and I feel like it does so much stuff more efficiently than uh, than that one. It very it very efficiently like introduces like Thrax and like the and the neo and the like exo exopilots. Like it it brings it sets up the rivalry and then like dives into Thrax really quickly, but like it doesn't feel rushed. 
Yeah. I think there's something interesting too about like the guy who's the best killer is also the most compassionate and the most human. And I sort of think it sort of reminded me of Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones a little bit. Was, you know, it's like he's like the best knight, but he's also like turns out to be somebody who's actually very chivalrous and and treats other his enemies with dignity. And there's like these these two sides to that kind of character. Yeah, no, it's like well, I was so one of the things I want to bring up real quick is like you know what do you think is the, I, like i think the more effective choice between the two is with uh this episode because in the Bowser episode scar gets killed at the end and the cylons also are like unthinking you know at that point especially well the raiders like these unthinking killing machines and i think it's so much more effective to have them like like you said have that great killer that that jamie lannister that like you know hound or whatever have that guy not kill and you know actually sort of reflect on what's been going on and all the things he's done and grow and become like a part of the universe you know not just be like a one-off you know sure that's the great irony of it yeah um yeah no i mean i think anytime your villains make choices they're way better um Whereas, like, if it's a, I don't know, I I gotta, I don't remember it that well, but like, you know, the, the Raiders were kind of like, just robot killers. They weren't really making the decisions, right? They were just sort of, you know, death machines, right? Um, is that is that true? <laughs> I don't remember. But they weren't like people in there. They weren't like yeah. They were just like it, they were basically built into the, uh, they, the plane. They were like sentient beings. Yeah. Or or were they? It's kind of, kind of, yes, kind of, it seems like they were the equivalent of, like, a dog, you know, like, oh. <laughs> being, to say. Yeah. yeah, but, uh, but yeah, you know what I mean, so it's like, you just, when you have, like, your villains making choices and, like, understanding their perspective and why they're making the choices that they do, they're, they're way more effective, and it allows you to, um, like, the un- do the unexpected, and the unexpected thing is not killing Kaz, which I think changes the way we look at that character, uh, all these characters on Mercury, but Neo Sapiens as a whole. Yeah. And you think in that one moment of, I mean, Thrax has maybe, you know, so you have like a 25 minute show. He has what, like three minutes or something. He's not, doesn't have a lot of screen time, but in that time he forever changes the perception of Neo Sapiens. He changes the character of Kaz Takagi. Uh, and the, you know, the ripples from Kaz go out where now he's like, he's part of the team. JT views him differently. Like, you know, it's, it's such an efficient and effective choice. And yeah, I, I, you know, let, I mean, let's, we can wrap this episode up a little bit. Like I, I love this episode. Like you said, it's for me, it's like top five. It's just like, it, it kind of hits all those sweet spots you want out of a, an exo squad episode, but with the emotional addition of like the cast storyline and, and Seth Rogen as like, a maybe not a one-off, but like, you know, a good, a good use of an archetype to push a story along. Yeah. Um, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, like in exo squad, like the use of violence is like used to change things. It's a war, but like, but Thrax by refusing to kill Takagi, like clearly has like a strong effect on Takagi. Like in a way he affects change more. he, he affects more change by not killing the Kagi than he would if he killed him, which is cool. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, which he gets to do because he's a thoughtful guy, which is such a great. I'm glad that they made that like their best pilot, also like their like deepest guy. <laughs> and I love that he drives a red, <laughs> drives, flies a red ship, which is just so badass. Like now, here's a quick Red Baron type stuff. Oh yeah, here's a question. Also, noted German. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> noted German. That's how I want. That's what I wanted my bat. My biography noted. Yeah, noted German, Chris Ferentino. The, uh, <laughs> um, here's a question. Do you think he's the best pilot because something went wrong and because he is so compassionate? Like, you know, kind of, he seems like he's not, I don't know. It just, it just seems like it'd be a funny thing if the thing that makes him the best pilot is also what makes him such a good person is like that kind of like the creativity thing. You know, like he's not supposed to have this extra little sauce, but because he has it, he is the best. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I know. Def- <laughs> I know. I definitely think there's something to him and Glycon, like not being on board with the Phaeton thing. And it's, con- I think it's connected to the fact that part of the reason they can say things like that is because they're so good. Like, Thrax and Glycon are too good to like ever like let them uh, like kill them for treason. Yeah, and they're also he, he, far away too. He's a warrior poet. Um, yeah, there, there's I mean there's there's something interesting too with how they like mythologize him and how he's become like a legend. And I think you know he lives up to it. Yeah, in more ways than one. The whole like the whole like mythology around like certain things in war I think is kind of interesting. You know, like certain squadrons or companies or, um, you know, get put on this like superhuman level, which I guess I guess he is superhuman. But (laughs) usually the theme is that like the unit is not as good, like it was an accident or the unit's not as good as it was. Like in this case, Thrax is every bit as awesome as everyone has said. Like he's so good. Like he's so nasty. Yeah, he's pretty sick. Now, here's a question. Was he your MVP? It's, it, it's hard for him not to be. Yeah, I guess. It's, 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 uh, it's Thrax's world. We're just living in it because he didn't kill us. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give an honorable mention to two characters, if, I'm, if I can. Yeah. Gl- uh, Glycon for sacrificing himself. That was pretty tough. Um, and unsung hero of the episode, maybe not MVP, but unsung hero, uh, Avery Butler of the Jump Troops. Yeah. For basically all the E-frames have gone back into the ship and are like debriefing and they're still like on the ground fighting. <laughs> yeah, so pre- give them credit. yeah, freaking like JT's like hanging out in his bunk, just relaxing. And they're literally in like a bombed out like building. Um, Kaz's like, my dad never loved me. And they're like, shut up. We're help us yeah we need air support there's a war going on yeah i'm i'm I, i'm gonna say uh i'm gonna give mine to glycon just because like you said it's he's sort of the inciting incident in a lot of ways because he puts in very stark contrast the situation they're in and i think without his sacrifice um i don't know if thrax takes that last step you know him and uh and charo charos um, you think you think he shows Thrax the way? <laughs> when you say it like that, um, it sounds like the way that Kaz went to that van. The um, I th- I think kind of you know it's sort of 
in the sense that he's like, look, we can do our duty, but we can also try to save as many people as we can for after the war. Um, he, you know, he, uh, he sets, he sets an example. He goes out like a G man. Like, um, yeah. So I'm giving it to my, uh, my boy Glycon, the icon. Shut up. <laughs> nice. But, uh, just while we're here, you know, I can't, I, we, uh, there were a couple of questions. I think we kind of nailed them. Uh, what, what do you think about the garrison commander Glycon? I mean, that was asked rules. by at monk of war. Yeah. He rules. He's my very MVP. different character. Very different character too. Yeah. You know, not mindless. He has a perspective and depth. And he's like, too, he's like, John, he's like too sad. He's like Jon Snow. He's like, they're probably going to come and kill us now. Yeah. Better go die. Yeah. This, like, uh, the one thing that I noticed is like these kind of characters are much more common in like World War One era films than World War Two era films. Yeah, well, it's that death of innocence thing. Yeah, the like super noble like knight type soldier like that's something you expect to see like the Blue Max or something, not like a, like a World War Two flick. Deep cut. Yeah, I was gonna say I was thinking of uh, was it Joya Novel, like yeah, I, yeah, yeah, where it's like you have that sort of very noble idea. But spoiler alert, in the end, like very personal tragedy kind of like cuts through all of that shit, you know, and they realize it kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of like that for uh, Thrax where he has this idea of you know, he's like, he's the best. He's going to try to do the best he can. But he sees like everyone around me, everyone I basically like, you know, because you get the sense that they're from the same brood. You get like they're very close. He's like, everyone I love is getting killed. And is there anything after this? You know, and it's for his friends, no, because they're dead. But you know, that I mean that that time period is always the most interesting to me in like war stories is like when you can see the end. Um, yeah, you know that's always the most interesting time. I just find it so like fraught. You know, it's like when it's like things are the most dangerous. It's when um, you've sort of got to start thinking about what the future is, how you're going to live. Well, yeah. Um, well, it's it's, it, not as, it's not as immediate, but it's still super immediate. Well, there's that all that weird, and I love like the uh, that sort of genre of like World War One poets and writers and stuff like that, where it's like they, you know, I mean, all quiet on the Western Front. You kind of have that thing where it's like you start daydreaming about life after the war, but there's still a guy who's going to shoot a cannon at you and try to kill you with artillery, even though the war is going to be over in two days. You know, it's like it just right. it doesn't stop because everyone's planning that bar out that they're, you know, going to hang with their buddies <laughs> at after the war. Um, let's see. Uh, Dragon 1701 notes that this is one of the best. Thrax is a great character and a good foil for Takagi. And he asks, why would anyone, or as he says, why would anyone follow, why anyone would follow Steph Rogen is beyond me. I mean, they're all father figures for him. Yeah. I mean, I could see it. You know, Seth Rogen is like, first of all, he has a great movie career. It's kind of funny. Probably gives some good weed, but like, you know, he's the dad that shows up in like the leather jacket with the motorcycle. Like, he's badass. He's you know he's letting him joyride around Port Chaos. Right. Yeah, he, yeah, he's like he's like he's like a weekend dad. That like, yeah, has like a cool motorcycle or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. <laughs> we really, I think that's true. I think we really nailed it in a funny in a funny kind of way. He is that. <laughs> he is that kind of dad. 
he rolls up on he rolls up on a unit. He picks like some super young kid to like befriend, and then he like leaves. He's like, yeah, no, I gotta go now. Like, yeah, like sorry, like you knew this was never gonna last. Yeah, right. Well, and like he has all the stories of like you know back when I was on like Venus doing this crazy stuff, and it's like you know he shows him his Neo Sapien porn collection <laughs> magazine magazines <laughs> or like that video game from the beginning. Exactly. He's like they they don't sleep. They never stop. Yeah. What would happen if the pirates didn't attack? That would just been the best scene ever. Just those dudes sitting there for four days. It's like, well, we we got here. We are. Here's our shipping in Mars. The end. Um, like they, they turned it in and they forgot to animate the attack. Like, uh, I guess you've got to make the rest of the show and there's no more. It just loops for four hours. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, freaking such a good episode. Um, do you guys got any plugs? No plugs. Still losing my hair. Uh, whoa, burn. <laughs> Sick plug jokes. Failed plugs. Uh, two loopy ladies on Etsy. Winter is coming. Get yourself a crocheted hat, a crocheted scarf, a fun crocheted item that you might not be expecting. 25films.com for all your wedding videography. Yeah, doing great work. And I saw that latest, latest video posted. Looking pretty uh, hot. Oh, nice. It's a deep cut. Yeah. Hey, just think of it this way. If you're listening to this podcast and you're getting married, what better distraction from the marriage than to have the photographer be able to talk some squad with you? So right. I'm just saying... <laughs> that's awesome man i'm fucking uh fucking yeah, happy for awesome. you. that rules dude thank you i hope we get i hope we get a few more because uh <laughs> i just gotta get, make that scratch but uh <laughs> yeah hopefully it turns into something else yeah man it's fucking looking great um yeah oh, thank you let's make a movie sometime yeah no we will let's like do it let's do it i've actually i actually had a whole idea for a movie in my uh in my head from like top to toe. And I was like, I need to get a notebook and write some of these ideas down. Well, shit. <laughs> the, um, I feel like we should, you should just do the wrap up. <laughs> we like got off the rails <laughs> for the episode. Yeah. I, I, here's the, here's the best part. I'm like, fuck, what's the wrap up? Um, oh yeah, this is a good one. The greatest fear. Season two, episode 12. Yeah. The greatest fear. In a world. <laughs> in a world where your greatest fear is auto-mutation syndrome. It's the greatest fear. Um, well, guys, I'd like to thank Eric Calderon for our intro and outro music. Uh, his stuff is great. You can find my 331 on E-Rock on YouTube. Check it out. He has new stuff almost all the time ever. Um, please subscribe, like, rate, review, share our podcast with people. We come up with, out with a new episode roughly every Saturday. Uh, the next episode is The Greatest Fear. And uh, it's going to be a good one. Yeah. I, I guarantee it. It totally will. But uh, yeah. Reach out to us on Twitter at exosquadgoals. Email us at exosquadgoals at gmail.com. And yeah, we're on all sorts of platforms. If you have an Alexa, don't make the noise. You can uh, actually ask for it to play our podcast. And it should. Because we're on TuneIn now, apparently. So Ooh. you're welcome. Um, so yeah, it is totally weird asking a thing in your house to play your own voice. Don't try it. Um, but for Exo Squad Goals, I'm Chris Mastalone. I'm Ryan Hardy. 
And I'm Chris Farantino. Are there any heroes in this county? No, no sir. You know, I, someday I'll rectify the fact that we say it wrong, but I really think I like our way. So, suck it, Butler. I like it. Me too. Bye. 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 No, seriously, goodbye. Bye. Are you still here? Bye. Now that they're gone. <laughs> I, uh, I've i definitely listened to the podcast like uh, in my earbuds, and I once almost hit by a car, and I was like, oh, man, if I died, that's <laughs> so narcissistic. <laughs> like... He died listening to his, 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 he was, he was so caught up in his own podcast that he got hit by a car, like. <laughs> Man does listening to his own self-help podcast. It is, it is funny to see, like, oh yeah, hey, Exos Swaggles has a new episode out. Oh wait, I'm on Exos Swaggles. <laughs>